Well, it's official, there'll be an election in the United Kingdom before Christmas. The 12th of December is what the House of Commons agreed on. But as the weather gets colder, so do the businesses, because a lot of companies are suffering from the economic uncertainty brought about by the never-ending Brexit story. According to credit insurance company Atradius, those uh, uncertainties are starting to show up in some of the statistics they gather. For example, uh, UK firms report that more than half, 56% of the total value of B2B sales, are now done on credit, presumably as opposed to getting cash in hand. 56% is the statistic, up from 39% last year. So, in other words, if you're supplying a customer, chances are that customer is going to ask you to give credit rather than pay you straight away for your services. And the similar sort of statistics run throughout uh, what Atradius has to say. For example, 35% of the total value of B2B invoices over the past year remain outstanding. So, one in three are not paid on time. Uh, overdue invoices are uh, also uh, an issue when it comes to write-offs. Write-offs are up from 1.5% to 2.5%. For large enterprises, that figure rises to 3.5%. So, Simon Littlewood, as we can see from, from this release, and perhaps it's no surprise, UK businesses are really doing it tough while the folks in the House of Commons decide whether or not and when and how to leave the European Union. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things going on. First of all, there's clearly a, a perception of higher risk, which causes people to hang on to their cash. And secondly, we know that there's an impact on the overall level of activity as, for example, foreign customers switch to other suppliers. And I've seen lots of evidence in the press that companies in Europe that have had good relationships with suppliers in the UK even though they don't really know whether Brexit's going to happen or what it's going to do, have nonetheless switched to other suppliers. Even though? Because of. Yeah. Right? It's because yeah. they don't know what's going yeah. to happen. Yeah, and, and with the result, that you, and you know, when you have fewer sales, uh, you know, that puts pressure on cash and so on and so forth. And that means that you also pay your own suppliers later. later. And that was yeah. another one, another statistic that came uh, through in this report, that 45% of um, customers delay payment to their own suppliers when hit by late payment. There are a couple of curious points, though, to come from all of this, and that is what businesses are doing about it. And there's a particular line from Atradius's research which kind of leaps out at us. It is this one. Stricter payment terms, average payments requested within 20 days. So it's, it's curious that they say payment is requested um, because while clearly if you're a, uh, a supplier, you want to be paid earlier than last year, just because you've requested 20-day payment terms doesn't mean you're going to get it. Well, there are a couple of things there. I mean, the first point is that if, if at least half of your sales are being paid late, that means that customers are not respecting whatever terms you have agreed with them or requested. Um, <laughs> therefore, to simply reduce the terms... Uh, shows that you perhaps haven't understood that the issue is to do with that relationship with the customer and what you need to do to get them to, yes. to, to, to pay you on time. I find this a very important part of the discussion. Very important, and it deserves a little bit more mm -hmm. time. When you write due date on your invoice, you know, 30 days, we give you 30 days, just because you've written it on the invoice doesn't have the faintest bearing on when the customer actually pays you. If it's the first time that the customer sees it, uh, then you have every reason to expect that he probably won't respect it. Yes. So, so the, you know, when I use it, when I see a phrase like requested, um, then I have, a, you know, the, the red flag comes up because, it, as we have said repeatedly, 
payment terms are a binary function of a business relationship. Binary in the same way that price is binary. And if you sell something to somebody for $100 and they turn around after a month and say, do you know what, I'm, I prefer to pay $93. <laughs> you would think that they would have taken leave of their senses. Yes. And yet if you sell something to someone on the basis of 30 days credit and they pay you in 90, whilst you might be frustrated, many, many companies, including the companies in this survey, put up with that as if it were a cost of doing, but well, no, because that's, that's added at least 2%, or it's yes. taken at least 2% or more off your margin. So it's binary. You don't request a credit term. You have yes. a relationship with the customer where credit, if any, like price, like the other conditions of service, what will we supply? What standards will apply? Yeah. When will you get it? How will it be delivered? How regularly will it be delivered? What other services do you require? When will the invoice be cut? What will it cost? When will you pay us? These are all binary. They're not, oh, actually, do you know what? We're not going to do that. We're not going to deliver it on Monday. Yes. We're going to deliver it in a month's time. Or we're not going to give you, we're not going to give you the big one. We're going to give you the small one. We're going to charge you the same amount. Yes. You know, all that sort of stuff. I mean. But it doesn't happen. No, it doesn't it happen. So, so just as you agree on all of these standards, you agree on the price, the customer must agree to the payment terms. The language here tells you that still companies are looking at billing and collections as something that comes later in the relationship. So let's focus on getting the customer ready to buy our product or our service. And by the way, that, that attitude is likely to become more prevalent as companies in the United Kingdom become more and more concerned about their future, which is I've got to hang on to my market. So the last thing I want to do is to bother the customer with the notion that he might actually have to pay me. <laughs> uh, let's just get him to sign the, the order, you know, which is an incredibly short-sighted uh, way of doing it's business. It's understandable. It's understandable dangerous. if you assume that people don't recognize the relationship between, between service and payment. That is, that it's possible to have a com professional conversation with your customer. Um, because if the primary reason that they're buying from you, and this is important, is that they can hang on to their money forever, then they're not a customer that you want. No, they're a charity um, or a yes. parasite. But so so the one assumes that the primary reason they're buying from you is because you've got something they want, i.e. you have a good or a service which is differentiated in some useful way that they want to acquire. Given that that is the basis of every business relationship, every healthy one, then it is entirely appropriate to have a conversation, a binary conversation, about what payment terms go with that and to expect that they be met. Yes, so when you write 30 days on your invoice, the customer looks at that and says, yes, this is what we've agreed. Yes, we've, we've already agreed with it. And as, and as we've said, there are ways of having conversations about how you expect payment terms to be respected very early on in the customer relationship without causing offense. In fact, contrary to what is generally perceived to be the case, it's much easier to have conversations like that when you're in the flirting phase mm -hmm. at the beginning of the relationship that it is later on when you haven't been paid, he knows he's paid, paid you late. He knows he's hanging on to his money. You know he's hanging on to his money. That's a very hard conversation to have without it becoming a little bit un uncomfortable. Yes. So back to the survey, when it says average payments requested within 20 days, you can request as much as you like. You can request five days or 100 days. If the customer hasn't agreed, it doesn't matter. No, I mean, if I saw a request, I'd be delighted. Yes. Oh, okay. you've requested 20 I'm, days. We're considering oh. your request. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Come back we'll, in the six And we'll let now. you know after Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> It's after the election. <laughs> so what are UK companies to do? Um, because clearly, you, you can feel their pain, right? The uncertainty, 
the prospect, as you've already mentioned, that customers will go elsewhere because you never know whether the product or service can be imported into the EU without some sort of tariffs having come into play. I mean, all of these things make you sit back and say, well, what can I do? Well, um, the answer is you need to be ready to have conversations with your customers about payment terms early in the relationship and they need to be absolutely crystal clear and agreed by both parties. And when they've been agreed by both parties, you should expect them to be adhered to. But in order to ensure that your customers don't have wiggle room to pay you late, because a lot of the time you open the door for late payment, even where the customer is clear that he needs to pay you, he's not going to pay you if he sees an opportunity to hold on to his money. Yes. If you're not serious about payments, then the customer... So you need to ask early on. Mm -hmm. You need to find out if there's anything you've missed or any unaddressed expectation, even if it is literally that, an unaddressed expectation. That is not something that is necessarily mandated by your formal uh, transaction record. You know, so, oh, we always expect to get our invoices, you know, with the, with, with the PO number at the, in the top right-hand corner. You know, there's, there are all sorts of, of things that yes. companies can come up with which are just about plausible, yes. uh, you know, so they fall within the kind of playing the game kind of, you know, yes. uh, but which enable them to hang on to yes. their money. Well, a bit and longer. because you sent your invoice with a PO number in the top left corner, I'm afraid. Oh, that our doesn't machine qualify. couldn't recognize yes, it. Yes, our machine couldn't <laughs> read it. Yes, the fun and games of, of payment excuses. Yeah. Finally, then, Simon, if you are a custom, a company in the UK, you're listening to us talk about this, you're, you're then shrugging and saying, but come on, you know, I do have to defend my market share if not by extending credit terms, what am I to do? Well, should, I, should I offer a discount on the price? Should I go for upfront payment for a discount? What are the options? Okay, well, we get it. we're straying into a different area here, but I mean, in short, if you are facing significant changes in market conditions, for example, if you currently export a big chunk of what you sell to Europe, then you should recognize that you might be losing a chunk of your business, not just because customers don't like you, but because you become more expensive because of tariffs and complexity and therefore you need to understand what that potential impact might be you need to work hard to replace those relationships with customers within England that you can transact the UK that you can transact with easily but you need to be ready to cut your cloth that's the reality cut your cloth means cut costs it means scale your business to the level of future activity not keep on hoping for the best it's a separate topic, but at the end of the day, it's but it's an important one. And yeah. so, so what happens if you don't know where your cloth needs to be? It's very cut? easy to expand. So, so the short answer is, take a worst case scenario, and peel back because there are a range of costs. There, are, there, there are there are discretionary costs that you can cut back on that don't affect the fundamental running of the business. Those should go first, because at the end of the day, you want to keep people employed. Yes. Secondly, there's cutting actual operating costs, which might be premises, they might be people, they might be phone use, they might be expenses. There are a whole range of things that you can do. And then thirdly, there's people. Uh, you know, there's your actual full-time people. And if you seriously anticipate that your level of activity might be lower, then you need to basically be honest about that and to, uh, to expect higher levels of productivity from the people that you keep. So you keep the best people. Reluctantly, you trim away some of the, some of the people who are, who are less effective um, or perhaps who've been employed more recently, in order to be in shape 
for a different set of market circumstances. Mm -hmm. And possibly hire them back if you do need to expand, if things do turn out better than you expected. My belief in business is it's a terrible thing to let go of people, but it's pointless to prevaricate and be dishonest. And the reality is you can generally find good people once you start to expand again. Yeah. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, once again, we welcome your comments. Thank you, Simon, for your expertise.